This episode of the Digiday Podcast is sponsored by Kiwi. Facebook has made still more changes to its newsfeed. Do not panic, publishers. Instead, get to know Kiwi. Publishers like the New York Times, Condé Nast, National Geographic, and BBC all use Kiwi to distribute content profitably on Facebook. Find out how at kiwi.co. That's K-E-Y-W-E-E dot co. Kiwi, making stories relevant and powerful. Hello and welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. This week I am joined by Heather Dietrich. Heather is the CEO of The Daily Beast. It's been an interesting time to see The Daily Beast and its lean political reporting team punch above its weight and compete with the likes of The New York Times and The Washington Post for the very biggest stories, uh, particularly in the Trump-Russia investigation. Heather and I discuss how to how publishing uh, companies need to focus, uh, how to compete in a very difficult market, and Trump's contribution to audience growth, and much more. Hope you enjoy it. Heather, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Daily Beast, how long have you been CEO now? I have been there for about nine months, I think, eight months. An eventful nine months. Definitely, always at the Beast. Okay, so... Um, Trump's been a big issue for the Daily Beast. What I've found very interesting is that um, for, I mean, you're not the New York Times or the Washington Post with those kind of resources, um, but you've decided to carve out a position for yourself in this gigantic story. That's right. That's so right. Ex- explain why and explain why not just, you know, maybe go on to something else a little less competitive. Sure. It, it, you're right to call it a competitive story. It's uh, probably one of the most competitive of our age. And I think for a lot of the audience, one of the most engaging of our age, which is uh, where the answer lies and it, as to why we couldn't just ignore it and kind of let the, the bigger guys um, play in that space. But then the question remains, how do you compete with such a, such a large story where the New York Times and the Washington Post have been doing a lot of phenomenal reporting? And for us, it was about building a small, lean, uh, but really heavyweight team. So we built a team of experts in politics and national security, um, even in technology. That group often uh, reports with our politics and national, national security team on Trump. And then most importantly, we stay really focused. Um, I think it's easy to get caught in the swirl of Trump's constant tweet storms. And those are meaningful for the audience. And we still report on those. But we stay focused on the larger stories. And for us, one of those large stories has been uh, the Russia connection to um, the uh, interference in the in the last election. Um, we were really proud to see when the Mueller indictments came out on Friday, uh, a lot of the factual recitation was based on stories that the Beast had broken, five really big stories, actually, through the fall and, and late winter. Okay, so Mueller has been good. It's been a focus. What is not, like, so, I mean, Trump, obviously, is a gigantic story. But what do you end up, I mean, you talked about focus, what do you end up just sort of avoiding? I would say there's nothing that we avoid intentionally. Um, we have a lot of expertise on the national security side. Uh, we have a team that's very well sourced in the White House in general. Um, 
we have an audience that's very engaged in the happenings between them. And so I wouldn't say there's anything that we particularly avoid. Um, we still help the audience sort of navigate the messiness that's coming out of the White House on a, on a daily basis. But when I said focus, I mean, we remain true and on the stories threads that, that we're reporting on. Okay, so has Trump been good for business? Um, that's a good question. There's, there's an argument that Trump overall has been, uh, difficult for the media, but I will say the audience is highly engaged, you know, not, not just our audience. Mm -hmm. I think the country is highly engaged into what is happening, what is happening to our democracy, um, what is happening to the ability to speak freely on issues that matter. Uh, so it's good in that respect. It's been a little bit symbiotic. I mean, Trump has pointed this out, that the the media sort of needs him. I wouldn't say we need him. There are always things to report on and interesting uh, events in the right. world. But it has helped the Daily Beast. I feel like that maybe just from the outside, I feel like the Daily Beast has been helped in, in a way in that it has helped it establish a, a brand differentiation, which is critical. Absolutely. We've differentiated ourselves as we try to do with every story. And if, if you follow our reporting on the shooting in Florida, that was horrific. Um, we were on every aspect of that story. And so we try to do that exact same thing on, on Trump and help the and audience figure out what's really going on here. What's really important behind, you know, this tweet storm, mm -hmm. what's really happening. What are the consequences if Mueller issues uh, a certain type of indictment or if he doesn't, or if Trump makes a move against Mueller? Uh, those are the questions that we know the audience has and we're always answering for them. Okay. So there's a voracious appetite for um, this gigantic soap opera. It's like every day. <laughs> Absolutely. Every day something happens. And I ask myself, is this important? Yeah, absolutely. The really interesting thing for us, though, is that over half the time someone comes in for a politics story, if they're moving to a second story, they move to a non-politics story, which I think is is interesting and signals that people are coming in not just for original reporting and stories we're breaking, but they, are, they also want the voice and our perspective on all sorts of things happening in the world, which is pretty unusual for a publisher. You usually see an audience, um, a, a reader coming in and, you know, kind of sticking in that particular category. Okay, so come for the collusion, stay for some kind of entertainment story. <laughs> stay for everything else, that's okay. right. It's an interesting strategy. So audiences is up. How much? Uh, since when? Since nine months ago. Um, probably about 10% since okay. nine months ago. Yeah. Um, but so are you able to make money off of this Trump bump? Um. We certainly, really our whole strategy is built around building engagement and engaging with our audience. Right now, there's a very deep connection that the audience has with the news. And we capitalize on that by continuing to engage them um, with our really deep, great reporting. And we find that kind of the more we break stories in certain spaces, the more the audience stays and the longer they stay. Uh, right now, we're seeing uh, people on the site for five plus minutes mm -hmm. on, on average, which is really phenomenal. Um, and then, of course, we monetize that in the, in the normal ways through sponsorship. Mm -hmm. But people are down on this normal ways. They're down on the advertising business. Yeah, they are. You know, it's, it's interesting. 
I mean, people are down on the advertising business and they're down on media, I would say, overall. You see these studies that say, like, trust in media is down, you know, double, double That's digits. That's true, but I've been seeing these basically for my entire adult life. So I'm wondering when the period was where <laughs> it was up. Like, right. at, how much far down can it go? Well, right right now, if you dig into those studies, like take Edelman, they have a study that says uh, trust in media is down significantly. And if you flip through the, the notes, it actually says that trust in the platforms is down significantly. When you control for the platforms, when you take them out of that sample, trust in journalism is up substantially, something yeah. like something like five points. Um, the fact of the matter is two-thirds of people are getting mm-hmm. their news from the platforms, and it's chaotic there, and they're not sure. Um, they're, they're losing trust in the platform's ability to serve them. Yeah. Uh, I always wonder about those questions, because when asked about media as an entity, people have always said that they don't trust it. But then when they're asked about their specific like you know news sources, they're like, oh, yeah, I trust that. That's right. Um, so I don't know. Some of it, I think, is is just in the questions. But you brought up the platforms. Obviously, Facebook is a big issue these days, um, not just for publishers, but also in this Russia investigation. It keeps popping up. Absolutely. Sort of weird. <laughs> you may have seen the BuzzFeed ad that Facebook is breaking up with news. If only it were so simple. Publishers are understandably more cautious about using Facebook to distribute content, but the truth is Facebook is still critical for most publishers. The question, therefore, is how publishers can use Facebook profitably. Kiwi helps hundreds of publishers do just that. Whether you're looking to drive more traffic, increase video viewership, drive subscriptions, or sell products online, Kiwi can help you find and target the audiences that matter the most and at the best price. Visit kiwi.co to learn more that's k-e-y-w-e-e.co kiwi making stories relevant and powerful thank you for the support kiwi check them out how big of an opportunity though is this for publishers i mean look facebook is getting beat up and uh publishers are kind of happy about it (laughs) i would say some are some are unhappy <laughs> from the changes. Some publishers? Things. Yeah, I, I think they... No, 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 but they're happy that Facebook is getting beat up by uh, Washington um, yes, they're... in the court of public opinion, um, that they're getting like held up for addicting people and being the new tobacco companies. Um, and let's face it, I think publishers have had a tough go of it with Facebook over the last couple of years. And I mean, it's a nice thing, right? As a publisher? I'm not particularly happy about it, but I will say there's an opportunity as Facebook changes its algorithm as it's free to do for its own business um, to sort of fill some of the void that other publishers were taking up by playing the algorithm game, uh, which wasn't a game that we ever got into, you know, like less than 10% of our traffic, our traffic comes from Facebook. Um, uh, but you know, a lot of businesses. Well, what is that down from? I mean, it was 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 it down from fifty percent, or was it never very high? It was never very substantial, and uh, we took our knocks from Facebook's changes like well over a year ago, and so these latest changes haven't really been you know much of a difference for us at all. Whereas you see other publishers who really truly built a business off of Facebook, and which I don't fault them for. You know, they they. Uh, heard that there was opportunity to do that and it, and it never panned out. Um, but I think they're, they're suffering a bit more. Okay. And you never pivoted to video. We never pivoted to video. The fateful pivot to video never, <laughs> never came to us. Explain why. Um, 
first of all, the path to monetization wasn't clear, as we now know was the case. Um, But even when it seemed like maybe there was a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, uh, there was really no promise of it and um, no vision for it that was presented to publishers. So you had to take a real gamble. And for some that were really well capitalized or overcapitalized, I think that seemed worth it. And for us, I think we are wholly focused on ways we can connect with the audience. And we didn't see that in video right away. So we're seeing uh, now the inevitable pivot to paid. <laughs> so As in after sub- the pivot, yes, after the pivot to, to video comes the pivot to subscriptions. I like pivot to pay. It just sounds better. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard that before. It's but just not, it's just like not clearer because you'd ask me what it was about. <laughs> I'll have to work on that. But um, is this something that you're interested in? Direct reader revenue is all the rage these days. Right. It, that has not escaped our attention, no, okay. I will say. <laughs> so I think we, like most people in the market who haven't uh, jumped into paid, are, are exploring it, but nothing to report there yet. Okay. Um, and, and when you're thinking through that, um, is, it, is it just how it scales that um, is, is the big question? I mean, because everyone wants to do it, but then there's the question, not everyone can be the New York Times and Washington Post. Right. For me, it's not only how it scales, it, it's also what's the offering. You know, you want to give something that's really meaningful, I think, or, or you set up a paywall, or you decide that your content is a must-have, and, um, you know, there are some risks to a paywall, I think, mm-hmm. for the non-New York Times out there. But if you are offering something, you want it to be of real value, you want to understand exactly uh, who the audience is that's likely to subscribe in the beginning period and then farther out, and make sure you have something that's very compelling for them. Do you um, think too many publishers are rushing into this, calling it a membership program? Having the, I, We always talk about the football phone that Sports Illustrated used to have. Uh, um, that you got for with, with your magazine subscription? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know that they're rushing into it, but I will say that those who put a lot of thought into understanding their audience will be more likely to win, I think. Um, I don't think everyone will be able to just put the hat out and say, hey, mm-hmm. this stuff is hard to produce. You so know. the Daily Beast is not a large scale news publisher in, in the, the gigantic sort of numbers that you see put up. And so there's, there's this notion out there that advertising cannot support um, ambitious journalism uh, without diversifying the revenue stream a lot towards subscriptions. Explain why advertising is still a good business for ambitious journalism. I, I would say diversifying revenue streams is a is a good business for ambitious journalism, but direct advertising will still be a piece of that. I think if you're an advertiser and you want massive scale, clearly the easiest thing to do is to go to face, Facebook or mm-hmm. you know the, the duopoly at this point. Um, I think that a lot of advertisers want more than that. I know they want more than that. They want really deep engagement with the audience. They want the connection that I don't think the Facebooks um, can provide them. I think they need a publisher who's really built a relationship inside of an, an environment where the reader comes and is highly engaged. And that's something that a mid-sized publisher um, like The Beast can really provide, mm-hmm. especially when you... Um, 
when you see the statistics on how our audience thinks of us, like 80% of our audience is coming in because they specifically want the news of the day explained more deeply. They want a perspective and a point of view. And that's very difficult to get just by mm. buying a demographic on, on Facebook. Um, but that'll require marketers to shift how... I, I think there's a shift in some ways how some marketers are talking um, I, I don't know if that shift is happening how they're actually spending. So, I mean, a lot of marketers come out and, you know, it's sort of ritual abuse of YouTube for the latest um, uh, uh, thing that they did. I'm sure, like, you know, there's all these conspiracy theories going on about um, on YouTube now about the school shooting uh, in Florida. Right. And some marketer will come out and be like, this has to stop. And then YouTube, Google will report results and YouTube's numbers will be completely up. Right. Um, there's always this disconnect. <laughs> um, I think the dollars trail behind the uh, front-facing, the front-facing <laughs> language, and I, I think that will come. I, I think Google and, and Facebook especially will have a hard time living up to what sounds like a renewed dedication to mm-hmm. um you know, keeping out the type of fake news that advertisers. I mean, is brand safety the big opportunity or is it more leaning into, we have a really loyal audience and then they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. I, I think it's both of those things. It's, you know, this is an environment where the audience has a real connection and it's deep. And also if you, if you feel like there are some topics that you don't want to be next to, we can provide that for you. No problem. You know, we have sophisticated tools that will ensure for whatever level of quote unquote brand safety you're interested in, um, we can ensure. Okay. So before um, Daily Beast, you were at Gawker. Yes. What were the big lessons you can't, you, you brought out of that drama? Um, <laughs> I, I get asked this quite a bit and I, um, there are many different lessons depending on the audience, you know, some for journalists, uh, some for just the the world who is interested in supporting independent journalism. Um, I would say most importantly, you can't think about. Some people think there was some lesson in you know you, of what to publish, and and I think really a great journalist can't think if each individual story is is worth it, quote unquote worth it. You know, Gawker paid a high a high price for having a uh, powerful person that it reported critically on have a grudge. Um, and so I think that made some people in the industry fearful, but I, I really think you need to put that aside. And um, for each, if you were focused on whether each story was worth it, it would be difficult to get anything out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think... So that's not a lesson. <laughs> well, I think the lesson is, you know, continue to report critically on, on powerful people. And um, there, is, there is value in that, despite what happened to Gawker. Mm-hmm. How about on the business side? Um, Gawker built a very uh, powerful and probably one of the most prominent commerce e-commerce engines mm-hmm. there is and i think the a lot a lot of publishers have looked early too I very mean, early yes i think a lot of publishers looked to them and attempted to replicate that um so interesting rev, uh revenue diversification lesson there okay so is this something i mean you're doing some commerce uh, dipping our toe into it yeah okay is this a big opportunity small opportunity too soon to tell uh we're in early days but what I see, which is the the most heartening, is that 
and this is a theme throughout our discussion here, is that our audience really trusts the beast. And that is the piece that I don't know that every publisher who's looking at the you know Gizmodo model fully understands in the beginning. It's not just about picking the right product and, um, you know, writing something up about it. The audience has to believe that you are always being truthful, you have their best interests at heart. And this is really in service of them, more than attempting to sell them something you think is mm-hmm. is popular. Um, and so the beast can't has, be a cash grab. That's right. The a beast, lot of times it is. That, that's right. Exactly. And the beast has that in spades. Um, and so I, I, I think you'll see us build that more and more it's funny when a lot of publishers go in they look for incremental revenue streams i feel like sometimes it comes across as like a cash grab like i mean you see it like when people try to add on events and stuff like this i know it because we do a lot of events and it's core to, to us and we see a lot of publishers and it's very clear that the only reason that they're doing events is because they have to right, right. um and i think sometimes commerce comes across that way yeah, I I think if you think about the end game of revenue, you are bound to uh, to stray, and I think you need to think about the end game as service to the mm-hmm. reader, the audience, the viewer, you know, the attendee if it's an event, right. and what they will actually get out of this. Because right. if you're building this for the long term, um, you won't succeed if you're only focused on bringing in each dollar. So you've talked about trust and loyalty, and a lot of publishers, I think, are, are coming back to, to this. Um, and put some numbers against that. Like, how does one, because everyone sort of says that. So what what is the sort of proof points? Sure. Um, if you look at it in a commerce, um, from a commerce angle. Since it can be just, beyond commerce, since, but yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I just said, since we just talked about okay. that, um, you look at people people having a propensity to spend that is three times what it is with other publishers as it is at the beast. Um, you see our audience staying when they come, they're not just in and out, you know, see an article on Facebook, pop in, read it for 30 seconds and jump out 30 seconds or less. You see them staying with us for four to five minutes. Um, you see also that we're able to build that not only in the verticals that we're quite known for, which is political reporting, entertainment, culture. Um, we're able to build that trust in in other things that we try. So we just launched a science vertical with a sponsor, and we are seeing engagement rates of six plus minutes um, for each audience member on average, which is really extraordinary um, for a vertical that you've just launched. And so all of those things signal that when people see the Beast brand, they they know this is a place where they want to stick around. Mm-hmm. They want to find out more. And the homepage, you still get people coming to the homepage? And we still have uh, <laughs> very high homepage traffic and you know, over a third of our traffic is coming in direct. of our hyper loyal audience of people coming in five plus times have us bookmarked, which is really extraordinary and also signals a pretty deep loyalty. Okay. So what, what are the plans for taking the brand and doing other things with it? Um, where, where does that lead? I mean, a lot of people have tried video. They've looked at Facebook watch and things. Um, where do you see the ability to take a brand? If you have a loyal audience, you can do a lot of things with that. Uh, that's right. As I said, we're exploring subscription, exploring e-commerce. I will say our tact is steady goes the ship, though. We won't see us you know, crash a, a massive amount of investment into something out of the blue like a lot of people did with video. Um, we are so video more- is, is still 
small. Video is still small for us, um, but we're still exploring how video makes sense for us. You know, when you saw a lot of publishers get these really phenomenal um, number of video views, and then you looked at what they were producing, you know, some of it was cranes moving cars in and out of a parking lot or, you know, drip, compelling. drips going into a puddle. And so weird product uh, reviews or weird, weird product demos, product demos. Right. And those are great gimmicks to drive views, but we don't believe that that really drives any connection with the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're or revenue. As it turns out. As it turns out, or revenue. Uh, that was, you know, the, the, that's what the benefit of hindsight now. And so for us, it's about figuring out what speaks mm-hmm. to the audience. And the it. resources needed to do video at a really high level, are, I mean, it's a big, big bet. It is a big bet. That's right. Um, and so we explore something like that more incrementally and really evaluate every video that we publish and say, okay, what, what really spoke to the audience here or what didn't that we could enhance next time. Okay. So for now it's going to stay small. There's, there's no, there's no pivot. There's no pivot to video coming. Okay. Okay. Heather, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And thank you all for listening. This podcast is produced by Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, and I hope you did, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now we're on Spotify. Um, Also a reminder about Digiday Plus, that is our membership product in which you get a magazine, which we do quarterly, invites to member events, access to our Slack community, and exclusive research from the Digiday research team. We just wrapped up the ninth edition of our quarterly magazine. It focuses on life after Facebook for the media business. To find out more, visit digiday.com and you'll find the Digiday Plus tab on the menu bar. Digiday Plus is only $395 a year, but if you want a 25% discount, and I hope you do, enter code podcast at checkout. That's podcasts. And if you act before the end of the week, you'll get a copy of the new issue. It has a great cover with Mark Zuckerberg as Donkey Kong throwing flaming logs at publishers while guarding sacks of money. Trust me, it's worth the price by itself. Thank you again. See you next week. Mm